comes from the book of Exodus in the Hebrew Bible, from the 23rd chapter beginning with the 9th verse. You shall not oppress a resident alien. You know the heart of an alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the wild animals may eat. You shall do the same with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Here ends the first reading. The second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, beginning with the 13th verse of the second chapter. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, this is you. Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel to, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Here ends the second reading. These words speak the power of life. They may be trusted. On April 30th, 1941, a Jewish man in Amsterdam wrote a desperate letter to an American friend pleading for help to immigrate to the United States. U.S. is the only country we could go to, he wrote. It is for the sake of the children, mainly. A volunteer found that plea for help in 2005, when she was sorting old World War, World War II refugee files in New York City. It looked like countless other files, and until she saw the children's names, and she stopped. Oh, she said, this is the Anne Frank file. And along with the letter were many others by Otto Frank, frantically seeking help 
to flee persecution, but getting nowhere. And we all know the end of that story. The Frank children were murdered, their fate was sealed by a fear of refugees and asylum seekers. Among the world's most desperate people, this happened 76 years ago, and it is happening today as well. Now, we heard the same story in the Gospel of Matthew about baby Jesus. Many of us miss this difficult part of the story where King Herod wants to kill the newborn king of the Jews because he's afraid to have a rival for his throne. So Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were still in Bethlehem when an angel warned Joseph not to return home because the baby's life was in danger. An angel warned Joseph to flee from Herod and take refuge in another country, and Joseph immediately took his family to Egypt, traveling, of course, on foot, walking a desolate road of about 200 miles, crossing a border, turning baby Jesus into a refugee, a vulnerable asylum seeker, a displaced person, a resident alien during the first few years of his life. So Jesus spends part of his infancy and childhood in exile, a refugee in a foreign land. He grows up exposed to danger, persecuted for political reasons. He learns what it means to be one of the least of these, alien and foreign. Jesus' story is 2,000 years old, yet it happens today. Because remember, Jesus' story is our story. Our faith story, however, goes even further back when we realize that even the story of Abraham begins with displacement. See, Abraham was a nomad. He moved from one place to another to find resources of food and water to settle in order to live. Then one day, God told him to go. Leave the land of your fathers, God said, and I will show you the place you will go. He didn't even know where that was. Destination unknown. And that's the beginning of our faith story. Such movement and displacement is very much part of the biblical narrative. When there was famine and resources were scarce, Israelites found refuge in Egypt, becoming exiles and refugees in a foreign land. When empires persecuted them, they were exiled to Babylon in a foreign land. So it seems from the beginning, we humans have been nomadic and transient, moving and settling where we found resources for living. To make a better life, to flee danger, some do it by choice, others are forced by circumstances in which they find themselves. And most of you are aware that this experience of fleeing and finding refuge and a home in a new land is not foreign to me. I have not been a refugee, 
but my grandparents were. I have never been stateless, but was born in exile in a foreign land that received me as their own. I have always had a home and a passport, but I have fled war, leaving my birthplace under not-so-comfortable circumstances 35 years ago. And I know I'm not alone in this. I am aware that many of you have similar stories in your family backgrounds. So witnessing this constant movement of thousands of people from Syria, Afghanistan, and Somalia especially, where over the half of refugees come from, is not easy. <clears throat> Witnessing my home of 35 years now, the US, closing to its borders to many legally admissible people, people who have waited two to three years for their legal documents to be in order, whose lives are in danger and who are fleeing violence, especially those of other faiths, categorized as terrorists, is not only difficult, but also hard to grasp. Now, I understand fear. I understand anxiety. I understand security and safety. But I also understand that it is fear and anxiety that move us, that move us humans to respond with panic and alarm. We react to danger with fear, to risk with panic, to threat with alarm. Our reptilian brains are wired for such responses. I also understand the challenges with which this part of our faith story confronts us today. We struggle with the tension of state laws and politics and our religious calling and spiritual commitment to follow in Jesus' footsteps in the path of compassion. The tension between faith and politics has always been real even during biblical times. Faith and politics are two different prisms through which we look at the world. But people of faith who follow Christ look at everything through the prism of Christ. So I cannot comprehend a society made up of immigrants that boasts valuing human rights, freedom of faith, separation of religion and state, freedom of conscience, innocent until proven guilty, pluralism, diversity, building bridges rather than walls, can even conceive of otherizing specific groups of people, segregating and banning them especially since similar instances of the past have caused nothing but shame, misery, and despair, to say the least. So is that why the biblical story tells not only of Jesus seeking refuge, but also of a variety of humans and their experiences? 
For there are refugees and sojourners, resident aliens, foreigners, strangers, exiles, dispossessed. And then we are admonished to treat one another with justice, equality, and compassion, reminding ourselves, or remind the authors, remind the Israelites, you were slaves and foreigners in Egypt. Remember how it felt. So be compassionate, be not afraid, share the earth. In fact, there are quite a few instructions on how to treat the sojourner, the foreigner, the poor, the displaced. When you reap of the harvest, don't reap all of it. Leave some for the poor and the alien to eat. When you when you receive the resident alien, have the same law and same justice system for them, for God is not partial. Love the stranger, provide them with food and clothing, and do not deprive the resident alien or the orphan of justice. And of course, Jesus himself said, love your neighbor defined as anyone in need. And love your enemy, for through compassion you will turn an enemy to a neighbor. According to the UN Refugee Agency, today there are 65 million people around the world that have been forced from their home. Among them are 22 million refugees, half of whom are under the age of 18. There are 10 million stateless people, and others are categorized as asylum seekers, returnees, displaced persons. Many do not have nationalities. They are stateless, with no citizenship or legal identity. The state in which they were born no longer exists, such as Yugoslavia, or is under occupation, such as Palestine, those who have lost their homeland, such as Kurds, or they are left out when new states were born. Now, I myself am a naturalized citizen of the US, a country of immigrants. But in the New York Times, I read yesterday something really interesting, that many who live in our country have moved from being immigrants to settlers. They define themselves as followers of pilgrims, and so they have settled here, so they don't consider themselves any longer immigrants. Could that be a prism through which they see the world? Today, about 13% of the US population 40 million is foreign-born, and that's the definition, the characteristic of the U.S. And as David Brooks puts it, he says, other nations are people are defined by their history, but the U.S. is defined by its future, by the people who aren't yet here, by the greatness that hasn't yet been achieved. 
Yet the conversations about immigrants and refugees today are often prejudiced and negative. They tap into our resources and become burdens on the economy, they say. They take jobs away from the natives, disturb the peace. They're violent and terrorists. We hear much about the disadvantages of being a welcoming society. But what about the advantages and the win-win situations? If there were no immigrants or refugees in the US, we would be following in the footsteps of Italy, which a few years ago became the first country that boasts a more aging population, more people over 65 than under. Hence, their economic growth and social security can be in jeopardy. It seems the US will not have that problem, not because we are reproducing too many children, but because of immigrants and refugees and naturalization. The US receives not only the asylum seeker, but also the brightest, the most talented young people from around the world who come to study, to work, pay taxes, contribute to growth. Without young immigrants, we too would be an aging population. And remember, many refugees today are professionals. They are educated, they speak multiple languages, they have cell phones, they have children. Any country would have a ready workforce if it organizes to receive a young population ready to work for a better life. And studies suggest that cities teeming with immigrants, diversity, have more secure economies. There were two kingdoms that shared a common border. In one country, they worshipped the sun. In the other, they worshipped the moon. Because of their differences, one day, they went to war. It was agreed that each army would provide a champion to fight another. So the strongest and the most skilled were selected, and the two men advanced toward each other, and then they met and fought harshly. After 24 hours, they were tired. They collapsed. I hate you, said the champion of the sun. Well, I hate you, and I have to kill you, said the champion of the moon. Back home, said the champion of the sun, I have a wife who loves me and a child, a son, who wants to be a warrior like me. I have to protect them from the likes of you. Well, I had a wife, said the champion of the moon. Your people killed her in the previous war, so now I have to kill you. So after some quiet moments, the champion of the sun asked, what was she like, your wife? Oh, she was lovely. She was my best friend. We had been sweethearts since we were children. We used to play in the woods here. We did so much together. Well, sounds like you had a happy childhood, said the champion of the sun, not like mine. My father made us work all day and when we complained, he would beat us. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. 
responded the champion of the moon. And so they chatted about their childhoods, families, other experiences. They talked and listened during the night and during the day, and then they fell asleep side by side. In the morning, when the sun woke them, they looked into each other's eyes, embraced, and leaving their swords behind, walked back to their armies. They could not fight each other anymore. For you cannot fight someone when you know their story, when you recognize their humanity. Jesus was a refugee. So let me suggest that when we think of refugees and immigrants, displaced persons, those who cross our borders because of political, religious persecution, or financial hardship, we remember how closely they resemble the family of Jesus. And that Jesus, the refugee, represents all the refugees of the world and the least of these. And perhaps that is why Jesus said, as you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. As you turn the foe to a friend and the enemy to a neighbor. So let Jesus the refugee be our prism and show us the way. <laughs>